This week on the podcast, someone stepped on our grave. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, today my friends Chris and Eric will join me to stare into the uncomfortable abyss of facing our own mortality. Uh, yeah, this week uh, we saw the untimely demise of Irish singer Sinead O'Connor and also Gen X icon Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. And they say celebrity deaths come in threes, so we're waiting for the third shoe to drop. But uh, this gave us a pause, gave us a moment to reflect on uh, both of these artists and what they've meant to us. And we're going to talk about that uh, when we get to the... Uh, you know, get to the main part of the show. Check the show notes for the timestamps for when we talk about what. And if you do check those show notes, you're going to see that we actually, for once, talked about things that are current when we do our section on current things. So we're going to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, Asteroid City and, and things like that. So we're actually relevant this week, and hopefully you find that to be a refreshing change of pace. As always, uh, we want you to uh, share the podcast, help us grow, so put it on your social media feed, subscribe to the podcast, and if you want to check out our old episodes uh, or find our social media links, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, you'll find all the links for all the things, including a way to email us, which is uh, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right, uh, everybody uh, strap in, we got another show! Welcome back, everybody, where where nothing compares to you, just like several other things don't. I'm Eric. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Brian, and I don't compare to Eric. And, I, and I'm Chris, and uh, I don't make monkeys. I train them. Comparatively. Comparatively. <laughs> Numeral two, letter U. <laughs> we could do a whole negative land thing on that. Oh, if, man. <laughs> Uh, one of these uh, things there will be the negative land episode yes yeah but we're going to do days. Sinead O'Connor first yeah thanks thanks yeah. for the uh the good thoughts the good thoughts uh but yeah it's a it's been a tough couple of weeks for uh Gen X icons eh right hey. that's that's kind of tough uh I well we can talk about it more but I was it was we'll funny to it. hear Eric talk about uh how much the Sinead news hit him unexpectedly yeah, I'm interested to hear. I'm interested to hear about that. So that's a little teaser, if you will. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into it. But as always, we start yeah. the show with not our topic. We start with whatever else we've been watching and doing in a segment we call the fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Also, I'm just waiting for the edibles to kick in. So, uh, you know beware well well chris when the edibles kick in <laughs> you should mm -hmm. go and watch teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem in is that local a, cinema that's a cartoon right that's Jeez, a really that's a new uh movie uh teenage mutant ninja turtles have been rebooted yet again yeah but it's um, not the the michael bay one where no, they, no. they look like weird giant burn victims those no. last two are just uh scary i this can't is, watch them this is the Seth Rogen produced okay. um, reboot where it's rendered like basically it was drawn by a kid in his notebook in high school. Like they use some of that <laughs> okay. Spider-Verse rendering yeah. Yeah. thing and it's actually easily the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie there's ever been. Really? I still like that first one, man. I gotta no, tell you. No, this yeah. is So the big thing they did here that makes it work is they actually cast four teenagers as the turtles and they recorded them all at the same time and let them improvise. So <laughs> like it actually, they're leaning into the teenage part of teenage mutant. Ninja That's turtles cool. In teenage a big way. Mutant Ninja turtles, teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Yeah. Turtle turtles half show. <laughs> and Jackie Chan plays splinter. 
Of and, course. Of and course. The soundtrack is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, okay. That's you you sold me right there. You <laughs> sold me right there. I'm intrigued now. Yeah. It uh is it's another one of those way better than it ever had any reason. Now, granted, I grant you. I grant you. This, okay. None of us were the target audience for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at any point in time. We were all a little too old for it when it really hit back in like 1990. Well, but yeah, I, I don't know about you. But I had read some of the comics, though. So by the mm-hmm. time the first movie hit in 1990, when Golden Harvest decided to make it, I was on board. Uh, that's that's massively. always kind of the, the weird thing about teenage mutant ninja turtles is that it wasn't supposed to be for children it was it was for people (laughs) into more grown-up comic books it was you know a joke but then when they released it of course the only in movies i guess the only people in eh, the only the only people who look up to or like teenagers are children right because actual teenagers don't look at themselves as teenagers and adults have had enough of them well, so I, I guess will, it kind of works in a marketing sense, I, I guess. But I will say that uh, TMNT, the comic books were my gateway to stuff like the tick. So I've always appreciated the, the Eastman Laird tip, if yeah. you will. So, well, our, our, I'm glad our, to hear that the new movie is not a piece of garbage. It's not. Our, so. our villain is super I think the only way you could put it. out something or anything like that anymore is that it has to be like ironic and funny when they do it. No. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's ironic though. This is just what if Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like was just hitting the scene today, right? Like they're they're very tuned into pop culture references. They make like Marvel Cinematic Universe jokes, uh, you know, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a thing that people you know, that turtles in New York City in 2023 have seen. Right. Um so it's they, very much a, a reboot. It's very much a reboot. It's actually the most 90s ass movie ever. Like all of the drops are like, you know, can I kick it and shit like that? Like it's 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 very sort of old school hip hop. And there's Um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Once again, very Spider-Verse. Yeah, it's it's really it's really fun. And it's aimed at pretty much all ages. There's something here for like the old people and the young and the kids and everybody, everything in between that. Our, our villain is voiced by Ice Cube and is a mutant fly called Superfly. Um, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> so they didn't go with uh, Shredder. That's interesting. No, no, they kept Shredder. They they kept their powder dry on Shredder. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's another thing. Every time they do a Spider-Man movie, uh, not Spider-Man. Every time they do a Superman movie, they pull out Lex Luthor. Lex right, Luthor yeah. was never his arch nemesis. He was yeah. just a bald guy who was rich. Wah wah. <laughs> <laughs> same thing yeah 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 pick well, pick you know. from the real rogues gallery yeah okay well that's good God. to hear good to hear okay and there's no uh there's no ooze or oh, anything like there's that totally ooze okay. There's, okay. yeah but it they it's an origin story april o'neill is not hypersexualized in this one she's okay. just kind of a person a normal person um is there yeah. a borderline fetishization of pizza <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't um, there be? They why certainly be? like pizza, but hey, Donatello, not... let's go get some pizza. I want to uh, fuck it. Yeah. Not, not in the way like in all the other versions. <laughs> it's like, what if forty-year-olds were writing the script, trying to think about what teenagers might say yeah, about? Right? Pe- no, it's it's much more sort of comes off as authentic. I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it's already smarter than the average, though, because you figure uh, they're named after Renaissance painters. Did you guys know that? Yeah. Did you? What? Yes. Of that? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the thing about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teen- yeah, I can't even say it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, is that they all have their own unique ninja weapon, like the nunchucks or the, you know, the staff or whatever. Uh, and yet they feel the need to give them each color coded masks as well mm-hmm. and that's always bothered me it's like well <laughs> what's the iconography going yeah, if, yeah. The, if the toy isn't holding its weapon how do you know which weapon is supposed to be holding right yeah, like, yeah. i guess i guess whichever okay. one holds Fair the enough. big staff in this movie is like all i have is a stick what do i do with a stick <laughs> <laughs> anyway. um, okay yeah no recommended it's uh it you know don't 
it's not a like go see it in the theater kind of situation unless you're into like 3D oh, or whatever. But like God, when it hits no. streaming, it, it's Dude, actually worth your time. Is it? Do you have to wait for IMAX? Is that what you're telling me? That's what uh, I'm hearing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's a weird question, and for this day and age only, what studio is it? Because I can't think of what streamer it would hit. Um, it's Nickelodeon, so it's going to hit Paramount. Yeah, huh. you'll be able to see okay. it, Eric. Do you think right. that this, uh, if this is successful, it will pave the way for, say, uh, a biker mice from Mars movie? Uh, let's hope not. <laughs> I'll just start <laughs> randomly naming <laughs> '90s cartoons that I'm aware of. That yeah, I've never seen. I mean, let's let's really let's hope not. I, yeah, I do wish that the the uh, sort of response comic book the adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters had taken off more i actually liked that (laughs) right oh i i feel like there's opportunity for them to do that on paramount with the tmnt versus adolescent whatever the fuck you just said yeah (laughs) yeah well the Um, fact that they they brought back uh rocksteady and bebop i'm i was i was astonished when i heard that because it's like voiced by seth rogan and john cena yeah in this movie yes because I think they showed up in one of those crappy uh, Michael Bay Michael remakes, Bay. but uh, I couldn't tell you for <laughs> sure because those are just blank to me. I've seen yeah. them to kill time, but it's just a giant black void <laughs> for God, both of those. I can't think of the last time I saw a Michael Bay film. Those were right. Those were yeah. so bad. There's a yeah. there's a brilliant Onion uh, Onion Entertainment News video from around the time one of those was coming out which um, was about how Michael Bay had insisted that the turtles have realistic on-screen turtle genitalia. Oh, God. And, and so they, they're talking to all of the effects artists who are modeling and animating, you know, Ninja Turtle scrotums. <laughs> <laughs> and they yeah, went we to did... the trouble of editing this into the clips from, like, the trailer and yeah. know, big turtle dongs. <laughs> I need realistic turtle dongs yes. or there's not going to be a movie. That'll make this all, this whole movie okay. Yeah, that'll make it defensible. It'll make it a Michael <laughs> Bay film is what it'll make it. <laughs> well, here's my favorite memory of any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie is when the third one came out where they go back in time to feudal Japan. And we went and saw it at the Dollar Theater. And Eric got up about 20 or 30 minutes in and just left. And we didn't see him again <laughs> until the movie was over. And we found him in the lobby. He's like, oh, yeah, I went and saw... Uh, that baseball movie was with the, the kids. Sandlot? Is yeah, that the yeah. Oh, yeah. story? Yeah, he's like, I went and saw Sandlot. We're like, oh, how was that? It's actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, because as you started that story, it's like, I don't think I ever saw another Turtles movie. What? Yeah, it's because you left. You walked out, you yeah. went and saw Sandlot, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I life is only so long. Why would I why would I stay there? But that's oh, I mean, yeah. just <laughs> well, on the paper, other, yeah. the idea yeah. of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, 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 wait for it. Three. Yeah. That's, I, why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, you're not even going to say that's worth a dollar. Is what you're <laughs> no. telling us. No. <laughs> or two okay. hours. Yeah. yeah. 90 so minutes. The, the other thing I wanted to mention this week on the fresh shit, because I was I was actually taken by surprise by this yesterday. So, um, you know, fit of boredom watched at least the first episode of the American Gladiators uh, Muscles and Mayhem the unauthorized story of American Gladiators on Netflix which there's a documentary about American Gladiators on Netflix now and then yesterday I'm out at a restaurant with my wife and I see that on ESPN there is a competing American Gladiators documentary on ESPN on 30 so, for 30. So it's like the uh, the Fire Festival documentary war. Yeah. All yeah. over again. And the whole reason for this, apparently, I Googled it, is the guy who claims to have created the show, who basically ripped it off from his Native American buddy who had the real idea, is this asshole named Johnny Ferraro, who is an Elvis impersonator. And like the people on the Netflix documentary, like except for one, the guy who was Gemini, the black dude, um, nobody wanted to be in a documentary with this fucking guy. So like all the people in the ESPN documentary are different people that are in the Netflix documentary. Right. Wow. Yeah. That that does not sound fun. That's great. 
I don't, <laughs> I don't have any. I haven't watched. You know, I was eating lunch. I wasn't watching this thing. I was just kind of glancing at. It. So most of my information comes from googling. At this point, I did watch the first episode of the Netflix one, but just the fact that we live in this time where there is a battle of the competing American gladiators documentaries is kind of mind blowing. I, I I guess I guess it makes kind of makes sense though thematically, doesn't it? Yeah, they're, they're gladiating. They're, they're yes, they're duking it I, out in the arena. It sounds um, like one of the documentaries will be like will include his perspective and the other one will probably be about what a cocky was. So I think I'd want to see that second. One. No, apparently the second one devolves. It's it's more like the tickled documentary devolves into the documentary filmmakers themselves. Apparently start interjecting themselves into the story because they realize that they're being blocked by this guy from the real story. And so it becomes a story about how they're trying to get the real story out from under him. That's very, Oh, wow. That's very meta. That sounds like an SNL skit or something like Portlandia would do. As long as it all ends with him looking like an asshole. I'm pretty sure he's going to look like an asshole. Yeah. Now I want to see it. Now you got me. Well, here's the, I never watched American gladiators. I just couldn't, it was too uh, running man for me. I yeah. just couldn't do it with yeah. any sense of irony, but I did at the same time around 1989, 1990, there's a very short lived competitor series called roller games <laughs> that I watched the that, shit out of that comes up in the first episode of the Netflix. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, it's so they, amazing. Shot, they shot this pilot for American gladiators in like a, a horse arena, like a, like literally they had a dirt floor. Right. And mm -hmm. it was just the most unsafe thing imaginable. Like none of the games, had been thought through everyone was like at serious risk of, of massive bodily injury it, that right. seems to have held true for the rest of the series but but they made this pilot and it's they've got clips of it and it's just painful to watch it's really bad and they took this to the the convention where they're trying to get syndication deals and whatnot and they thought they had this you know this unique concept this new sort of you know pushing the boundaries of trash tv thing <laughs> and and all anybody would talk about at this conference was the roller games game thing Dude, it like, was, it was, that was the most ridiculous show because at some point they had a stretch where you, you were on the roller rink and they had to jump like an alligator pit <laughs> I mean, it was just the dumbest dumbest thing ever but the way it was filmed it's like you could tell it wasn't actually like a, a real danger because that would be just a, a nightmare for insurance. So it was just the way they edited it together. But it just made for a fun game. It was sort of like, that was more like rollerball, which I'm all about. So it was just a good time. But yeah, American Gladiators, I could never get behind. I don't know why. No. It always looked like one of those really like, at first I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, haha, ha, that looks, yeah, okay. What, yeah, I rolled my eyes. And then it became popular. And I'm like, who the fuck is this popular with? You know, I'm glad it's popular because it helps me to spot the bad people. Whoever right. is into this is somebody I don't <laughs> want to know. Like today with monster energy drinks or voting <laughs> Trump, you know, right. Like I oh, need yeah. to stay away from them. Yeah. This I mean, is like, what if wrestling, but shittier. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, with like with air cannons and like yeah. giant nerf darts and whatever. And those like stupid poles with the giant pads on them. Yeah. Where they basically would do the Robin Hood. They'd just push him out onto like a little small like beam and just make him beat the shit out of each other until someone if you fell wanna, off. If you want to see the real shit, it's it's in Japan. I don't know yeah. what they yeah. call it, but it's fucking good. It <laughs> well, is violent I mean, and no one ever wins. And they're yeah. gladiators. They're goddamn victims. Well, I mean, <laughs> the only thing that American gladiators had going for it was the just the ridiculous wrestling names they came up for. With, uh, yeah, like Blaze, Blaze Nitro, <laughs> Jade, Laser. Yeah. I mean, it was like I mean, it was basically like we we couldn't actually get the Mortal Kombat license, so we're just <laughs> gonna <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That's exactly what um, it is. Good call. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, uh, I remember uh, it would be fatality. Come on, like when you're flipping through the TV guide channel and nothing is actually on, and you're like, well, this is colorful and less awful to be in the background than everything else that's on on this yeah. Saturday afternoon or whatever. Right. It was kind of that. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I, mean, I think it was for also like, yeah. No, I was just saying, I think for like 15 years, whenever it came on, my reaction would be, what? They didn't take this off the air yet. 
Yeah. <laughs> they really didn't take this on. Is this a rerun? No, it's just <laughs> no. not. Yeah. These documentaries dare to ask, uh, you know, the probing questions like, were they using steroids? <laughs> <laughs> were, were they doing drugs and having sex off camera? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Of course they were. Maybe. <laughs> it was uh, very, very mid-80s, late-80s, th- early-90s thing. Oh, oh, it was terrible. Yeah. Barf. All right, hey, somebody... kids, you know how life seems horrible? Well, it kind of always was. Yeah. yeah. It's always been horrible, <laughs> just in yeah. varying stages. Yeah. All right. Just who used has... to be different people who made money off it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've got one, and I think I don't think we've discussed it, but I mean, it feels weird to me. That we have not discussed it unless we did discuss it and i just totally forgot we'll tell did you we discuss, we had... did we discuss oppenheimer no no i was i, I had I that mean, one in the in the chamber i mean okay, Brian saw barbie so then we talked about barbenheimer i think but... <laughs> let's do Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah i i was like it seems weird nobody's bringing up oppenheimer but then again it is utterly goddamn forgettable so I, it's not like <laughs> yeah it's not very weird i i am so astonished i like I had all these notes about everything that was wrong with it, and then I see nothing but positive reviews. I'm like, really, really? Nobody I mean, else is nobody. I like the fact that it basically got a whole bunch of free press because of Barbie, because yeah. of some <laughs> internet community out there decided to just go, oh, Barbenheimer. I don't yeah. think Oppenheimer would have been Nolan's biggest opening ever had it not been for that piggyback on Barbie. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. It's very telling that he did a lot of pre like interviews promoting it which he never does when he started doing that i was like oh oh, this is a stinker once he starts talking about people are walking out of the theater just shell-shocked i'm like (laughs) dude you're talking about your own movie that's like it's like it's like a rapper playing his own music in his car going yo listen to them beats you know it's it's wrong it's like you know christopher nolan i'm going to bash your skull in with the sound system for three hours of course (laughs) you're gonna walk out staggering like come on least of my complaints we funny enough that's the least of my complaints my greatest complaint is it's a biopic that pulls all the biopic sins like characters (laughs) telling you who they are in history out of exposition like um like matt damon saying well i built the pentagon so they put me in charge of this who says that who said i don't need to know your cv (laughs) shut the fuck up guy in the oppenheimer biopic that's who yeah yeah and it's full of it's full. oh okay no this is one uh he's fucking his girlfriend uh she finds a book of sanskrit she's like you can read this he's like i'm teaching myself oh this will read she pops open a page to a random page randomly mind you randomly (laughs) randoms a page says read that random line that i am now writing you yes yeah and it turns out to be that that line that he quotes years later and i am become death destroyer of worlds yeah like that's that's definitely a buzzkill if you're having sex, I would think, though. But but also, yeah, what are the chances that you're going to pull? But the thing is, it also changes that whole quote. It's like, you know, yeah. what did you think with the bomb fell? Well, I thought of the line from the Bhagavad Gita, uh, and that made me think of fucking my girlfriend 20 years <laughs> yeah, ago. Right? The, the atom bomb was a lot like uh, uh, fucking Florence Pugh. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Well, here's the I have. I just I don't have any interest in seeing Oppenheimer, and it's directly related to the fact that 30 years ago paul newman and a bunch of other famous actors of the day made fat man and little boy yeah it's all about the creation of the atomic bomb and right uh, etc and dwight schultz Helen mad murdoch from a team played oppenheimer in that and that to me is just the most indelible thing ever because it's like all i could think about was Helen mad murdoch from the a team <laughs> but he's creating the the atom bomb and he's being yeah. oppenheimer it was just so like they, there was the casting was so weird <clears throat> there was excuse me there was a show i'm gonna say 10 years but i don't think it was quite that long ago called uh manhattan which was about the Manhattan Project. Right. And it was mm-hmm. a very good show. And it was, you know, it was actually very uh, uh, grunt level with the scientists who were doing the actual sciencey work. Uh, one of the characters in there is uh, ends up having a moral conflict with it and is a spy and starts spying for the Germans. And the actor who plays that spy is the actor who plays the spy in Oppenheimer. 
<laughs> what? Uh, that's so they're they're basically they exist in the same universe is what that, you're telling me. That or somebody got super lazy. I mean, this yeah. this this movie reeks of laziness. He, he's he's writing a, a a biopic story about a scientist. It turns into a moral quandary over nuclear weapons, which I find funny. Are there a lot of pro nuclear weapons people out there? I don't know. And then it turns into this this very Christopher Nolan twist movie, which is yeah. you know, why it's shot in black and white. It's so out of sequence can, thing. Yeah. yeah. It it's like okay, no, 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 no. He there is no twist, and then then double cross twist. Oppenheimer did not get you. You know, there was no plan. I don't know what's going on. No, I'm, so I, I'm just there's 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 just too much stupid. Let's also <laughs> just say it just feels like it was also, his push for, you know, Oscar bait. Oh, it's all Oscar bait. It's 100 percent Oscar bait. Yeah. Um. No. So this is a three hour long movie. OK. Ugh. And like fair enough because it's doing the out of sequence thing the pacing kind of is okay but the point at which that twist happens the movie is over okay yeah you have told a complete story we've had our climax we've had our denouement cool let's have some credits oh no no here's another 45 minutes of a different movie now because here's the twist and all it's like yeah, it's Lord of the Rings so much shit going oh, on here. Yeah. Basically, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Robert Downey Jr.'s character has a big, you know, stick up his ass about Oppenheimer because Albert Einstein gave him a dirty look once and yeah. he misread the moment. OK, yeah. that's kind of interesting for a much shorter, much smaller film about two guys. This is not about two guys. This is about so much that it you know either it should have yeah. been a tv series or it shouldn't have been at all and the it, uh, just the fact that they would then try and pull out a, a a a christopher nolan twisty ending yeah on a biopic that's that may be just so fucking do you, angry do you think that uh with this and tenet that uh nolan is maybe on a weird slide yeah. no I he's do. gonna win the oscar they're gonna. It doesn't matter. Do it. Oh, it doesn't matter. He's on a slide. It's. It's like you know. That's the thing about all of the people all the time. I mean, yeah. This is not good. And some people. And most a lot of people got fooled. You know. It's. <laughs> yeah. No. He again. Agree. Good marketing. Agree, good marketing. But, but yeah. we're gonna be stuck with this guy for a long ass time. Yeah. Every time they say, if you take a drink. Every time they say Oppenheimer, it's a much shorter movie because you're dead in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, what oh, am I oh, watching? Oppenheimer. There's a, there's a scene in the movie where uh, I can never remember his name, but yeah, the general everyone has played. It seems the 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 Paul Newman, Brian Dennehy general guy that right. this time uh, Matt Damon plays, where he meets Oppenheimer for the first time to interview him, not interview him for the job. Right. And I and I almost stood up and said, this is where the movie needs to start. Nothing before here is important. <laughs> this is where the goddamn movie needs to start. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I edited uh, his movie perfectly and chopped about 50 minutes right off the front. Well, okay. it's like, praise so where good. due and criticism where due praise where due the actual Oscar. This movie should win is for makeup. Because this is hands down the most believable old age makeup I've ever seen. Like the way they age up Downey and Oppenheimer. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know what Downey's actual character's name is. He's Downey. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's so subtle and so believable. Like it's not it's not. You know, stupid looking. It, it's actually like, huh, they they really did that. Uh, so give them the Oscar, the criticism. So Nolan has been making a big to do as he's going out and like, we shot this whole thing on IMAX and we made them develop a new fucking film stock so we could shoot IMAX in black and white. Yeah, and for there why? Is, <laughs> and there is no CG <laughs> in this movie at all. You know, we we did all of this practical stuff to make the 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 Trinity test explosion scene. And I'm like. You should have done some CG for that because mm. honestly, it was underwhelming. And that's the Thank one you. moment where you're supposed to really <laughs> kick me in the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. That was my reaction, too. I, yeah. And I knew him like going into it saying that we these were all practical explosions. And I was like, you, you, you bought an atom bomb. How did you yeah, do that? You're not going and to then, sell it. 
the explosion looks like okay let's see when they were filming this they probably had like like a big pile of dynamite that they blew up like maybe a mile away and in the movie it actually looks like a big pile of dynamite that they <laughs> blew up like a mile away you well, don't care and some yeah. i'm like is something gonna happen close-up shots of like fire and embers and shit but like <sighs> seeing you know seeing the actual footage of actual atom bombs like just decimate test villages and what that's a hell of a lot scarier you know bikini yeah. atoll like yeah this really needed yeah can some I, cg can i can i share just one quick thing on the exact same subject uh in the movie there's a whole we don't know if it'll work we don't know if it'll work and then they set it off and i swear i was like i don't I, i'm guessing it didn't work it's like it was so underwhelming. You really didn't know whether it worked after it worked. <laughs> and then there was this whole subplot that uh, Nolan has been talking about in in promoting the movie that he what he found was so interesting. The idea that they didn't actually know if the chain reaction would halt and would start yeah. gobbling up hydrogen in the atmosphere yeah. and set the atmosphere on fire. That was a real thing, you know, like a real concern not to give anything away but it didn't happen <laughs> duh so it's like there's there is no tension there i can look at the sky it's not on fire so this did, didn't happen did the movie end with harrison ford jumping into a refrigerator that was lead-lined? <laughs> please say oh, yes eric oh. the other reason that <laughs> that thing is underwhelming he tries to shoot it the way Spielberg shoots dramatic scenes, which is to say he shoots the reaction of all of his characters. But you can't get away with that when what all of your characters have to do is not look at it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pulling a fucking Trump. Oh, let's uh, look at the eclipse. Yeah, let's do that. Um, uh, anyway. It. It's, yeah, it's, I am. I'm so revoltingly angry at this movie and, and I'm angry at the people who are not saying what they need to say about this movie. You're, you're letting Trump win is what well, I'm saying. Well, speaking of disappointment, uh, I did see asteroid city. Finally. Oh, okay. And, I saw uh, that too. I was not impressed. It was really, uh, it was, it was too, too, he was trying too much. I mean, I applaud him for trying to swing for the fences, but it just, the the narrative within the narrative within the narrative just fell apart for me i just didn't care all of the characters were just flat cardboardy i didn't have any connection with any of them if he'd had done a movie about those kids mm -hmm. and centered it mostly around that and done sort of more like a, a moon age kingdom kind of a thing i would have probably loved it but he spins out all this other stuff and then you get like that weird twilight zone show framing device uh and then the actual playwright and then it turns into this super meta thing and it was just too mm. much he just put too much into it but it looked great but it was I, flat yeah i gotta admit i've only watched it once uh and all yeah. of his movies i end up coming back to him by the fourth viewing i can at least understand <laughs> you yeah. know like the, I, the, the I get whole thing and i i feel like i feel the same way there was so much going on there i'm not sure what to do with the jumble right. each piece of the jumble i thought was brilliant it looks great it's you know it is it is funny or ironic whenever it needs to be yeah but yeah i don't exactly know how all of the That's, uh yeah i i agree this is, as, this as is as a was, movie wes anderson made for himself yeah isn't it well i well, mean aren't I, they all yeah, I feel like yeah. French Dispatch might have been his like super personal one because it's just that was obviously just him aping all of the European masters that he probably just spends hours and hours watching. He's mm. like the anti uh, Tarantino, like Tarantino watched watched all the trash cinema. I think Anderson probably sat around and watched like Bergman and <laughs> all if, of that. You yeah, know? this is if Quentin Tarantino read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <Basically>. I, <laughs> I remember having like the same reaction out of Moon Age Kingdom and and being like, what the what? And by the third or fourth time going, this is my favorite of his movies. So See, I'm I'm not sure yet entirely what yeah. I love the way it looks. I love everyone's performance. Um, yeah, it's it's got all of all of the, the things that he brings to movies that I like. I just, again, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it, one of those things that needs to be, to be better mixed with your, you know, with, and, and baked properly right now. Yeah. It's still a lot of ingredients clumped together. But yeah. It's it, the movie knows that, right? Because the whole thing is that it's like one of our main characters has no idea why he's doing what he's doing in this play that he's 
that he's performing. And he's like, what? Why does my character do this? Like the movie is basically shoving that in our face and saying, you don't get it. We don't get it. Stuff's happening. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was just yeah. like Eric said, it, it just it. I, I literally like halfway through it went, I'm going to have to watch this at least one or two more times. And that made me feel like Anderson's probably just laughing in the background, yeah. like making people I, watch his movies repeatedly just to, to garner whatever the, the thematics yeah. were. I mean, it's just, it's just funny. It's a very dense I, film and that's my only real complaint. I thought it worked like as a metaphor for the, the inner monologue and the outer face that you put on for people like, like moon age kingdom, the color film in the desert is sort of the public face of what you say and show about your emotional state and everything in black and white about the TV play being produced in the back. That's, that's more the, the subconscious of all these thoughts. Like he has a dead wife in his subconscious. He talks to her, but he's a different character and she's a different character. And I was like, Oh no, that's his fucking wife. But this is on some other like weird subconscious level. It's like, I'm not entirely sure that they try and make it out that the TV play that's being done is the reality. And mm-hmm. the movie in color is, is the dream is the script. And I think it's the other way around that. In fact, the non-reality is the reality and everything else is going on in their heads. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, that's what I want to make sure of before I actually say that's what's going on, but it feels like it. Yeah. I, the so, same. I, I left with, with more questions than answers. And I guess that's probably what bothered me on, on uh, behalf of, of the audience and the thing in the back of my brain, that's just twitching. I have to say the name of the movie is moon rise kingdom. Moon thank Age you. is moon age daydream. Uh, Whatever it is. No, it's, I get it know, wrong all the no time. Shade, all but, the time. Yeah. Anyway, like, like it's I was not a my Bowie favorite. fan before I was. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, and yeah, him. And, and and it's not my favorite of his oob. So you you it's can kind one, of just it, it might be it. one of my favorites. So Eric and I recommend Moonrise Kingdom it, for sure. It's, it's sort of like, you know, towards the upper middle for me. But uh, well, yeah, got to understand. I'm an alligator. I'm a rock and roller coming for you. <laughs> I'm a space invader. Uh, I'll be a rock and rolling bitch for you. Yeah. All I can tell you is Eric is uh you know, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. That's really all you need to know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, yeah. Chris, Chris, you got it's any big, other it's, it's colorful. It's got stuff in it. Uh but uh no, I won't belabor okay. anything at this okay. point. This might be the first time in in podcast history, 273 episodes where everything in the fresh shit was from this year. Right? Wow. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. ruin it. I didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> like this <laughs> month, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Uh, that's the fresh shit. Let's get on with it. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like devastated uh between Sinead O'Connor and say Paul Rubens aka Pee Wee Herman uh who scored higher on your grief list oh what an interesting way to approach this actually Mm. well I mean initially we were going to do Sinead and then Brian's like well let's just throw in all the other dead icons that we can think about died between let's do (laughs) Sinead and yeah yeah, well at least Sinead and Paul Rubens and usually we say celebrity deaths happen in threes and Chris points out, well, what about Tony Bennett? So does that count? I mean, t- no. okay, so Tony Bennett doesn't <laughs> hit as hard as either the other two because, yeah, and they, I, I'm going to say Sinead O'Connor hits probably the hardest because she's too damn close to my own age. Oh, and I don't like it when, pe- hey, fuck yeah. you. I don't like it when people my age are dying. Did, that's, like, did you have fun. the same? That's, yeah. But that's not that's not sadness that they're dead. That's fear yeah. that yeah. you'll fear be of dead death. soon. Yeah, that's just, yeah. Yeah, just more of a reminder of your own mortality, which freaks yeah. you out. Like, did you freak out when uh, when Kurt Cobain shot himself? I mean, it was like, whatever, dude. No. Well, you're, <laughs> well, that's because we were never going to die when we were in our 20s. Oh, no, I knew I was going to die. I just didn't know when. <laughs> I'm still I, not sure. Yeah, yeah Barry, I I remember when when he shot himself I was I was on a hunt to uh get the first joke about Kurt Cobain cuz I like <laughs> I had this thing in my head no, like no, no, no. these sick jokes that happened this is pre-internet sick jokes 
just sort of materialized where someone told you a sick joke about that thing. And I was like, this is, this is like counting the number of licks to get to the center of a Tootsie pop. I want to see how many days between the actual news of his death and me hearing the joke it takes. It took three days. And I, 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 I remember like I was telling somebody I was on this quest and he said, Oh, I've got a joke about the Kurt Cobain thing. I'm like, fuck you. Where did you hear it? And I had to like trace the lineage back. (laughs) <laughs> where well, this all starts it was a simpler time for, for, for the purposes time. of this podcast it's been seven hours and ten days uh, <laughs> since Sinead O'Connor died <laughs> wow you were yeah. just waiting for that one you were just waiting I was gonna lead one. off the segment with that but I got I, I, I got I was too slow on the draw will it be will it be 15 days by the time this releases no because it's going out tonight so you know okay. Brian yeah. all I can say if, if if you said jump in the river I would because it would probably be a good idea well go jump in the river Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh but did who answered the question though Brian you're you're, no. you're basing it more on just your own mortality uh yeah. versus okay well okay. I mean, you're not you're not that far off from Pee Wee Herman's age of death fuck you frankly <laughs> So either one would work. Uh, All right. My 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 answer, I uh, I feel like I said goodbye to Paul Rubens when he had the, uh, his Pee Wee special a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, this is good. Good for you. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Mm. And moving on. And so when he died, I was like, OK, no, that's just the uh, the the quiet conclusion to a life. No, that's fine. When Sinead happened, I was like, oh, she killed herself. There's the, the news mm. has not come out yet, but don't 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 fucking lie to me. She killed herself. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, it was it was tough. But I think for me of the two, uh, I'm more devastated by Paul Rubens because of just all of the different stuff uh, that I absorbed from his career, most specifically the Pee Wee Herman stuff, because Shane O'Connor. I mean, I will not lie. Like uh, that second album, I do not want what I haven't got. That mm-hmm. was in heavy rotation on my CD player for oh, yeah. good lord mm-hmm. forever, and it's not an upbeat Ooh. album by any Ooh. stretch of the imagination. But it did not leave my CD player most of the time. Uh, and then the first album, but when she got to the third album, "Am I Not Your Girl," and it was all like cover tunes and and like Broadway standards and whatever, I just I was done and I had moved mm. on. And so I haven't really listened to any of her other stuff apart from those first two albums, really. And so it's more of just uh, in the back of my head is like, oh, yeah, I used to listen to that a lot. Damn. Yeah. And then that was that was my day. And then I moved on. So I wasn't yeah. devastated. I, I'm sorry to tell you. No, I, I yeah. I, and again, it was I think it, it hurt harder only because I really I hadn't listened to her since the yeah. mid early mid right. 90s. And right. so when she died, it wasn't it wasn't like my mortality. It was my youth. Suddenly I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. God damn. I remember being, yeah. you know, well, being just, like young enough to go. Oh, Sinead O'Connor, who cares? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm really into the punk rocks. Yeah. Well, I'm just I just remember the whirlwind when nothing compares to you just exploded everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. suddenly she was just like no longer just a college radio entity she was like a huge global thing and then she did the snl thing and basically insulted the entire catholic religion on a very very notable platform and then like all of the maelstrom that happened after that yeah here's the thing like so going back a little biographically on Shinoka. First of all, apparently she was like physically and emotionally abused by her mother from day one. Right. She's Irish. She's raised Catholic. Uh, she has an abusive Catholic mother. And uh, at 15, she was actually put in an asylum yeah. uh, for a while. Um, she got messed up. And she was up there in 92 on SNL uh, talking about how the, you know, they were, uh, you know, buggering boys in the catholic church and hiding it and it was years before that became a thing that people were like oh they're actually doing that so she was Mm -hmm. she was if anything kick-starting that conversation in in the public sphere so well it was just weird though what i'm saying is that she became this like strange pariah almost uh 
but all of the people that she performed with always came to rescue like chris christopherson etc mm-hmm. would Gabriel. always yeah, yeah would always back her on stage uh and just tell people just cool your jets man and yeah. so i always remember mm-hmm. that as being sort of the pinnacle of her superstardom because after that it was sort of she not really a has-been but didn't really hit those same levels and then she eventually she just what retired and, and became a muslim is that what happened it's i don't like, know about I've the lost, religion stuff but i think i think she became a, a muslim but i lost track of the story because i was not really following she her career did anymore. but it's I, I mean she she was the kind of person who would make big huge declarative statements she she quit and retired from music a couple of times and right. never like actually a crazy did. person yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, this is this is one seriously damaged person like right. and, and she has that sort of irish thing so she's like in your face and unapologetic about it um but yeah i don't know how, if the muslim thing was sticking or not i just know yeah. that like i just, I, just broke i, I think just ultimately the problem is as an artist she she had some she had a couple of hits i still think last day of our acquaintance is her best song thank you she I has a that song. couple of good songs but it, it, it was never as big as the show she put on in public right. she was also like it was not just the the pope terry uppy thing before that she refused to go on saturday night live because the host was andrew dice clay and yes. again everyone now would go well a fucking course she said no you know yes. but at mm-hmm. the time it was like oh you bald bitch yeah and they made fun of her on snl for years but so. like all of this was bigger than any of the songs she put out because she was not a hit machine. She had a very specific kind of music well, and she accidentally got really huge because of a Prince cover. Well, I think what's interesting to me because going back and, and re-listening to some of it is the fact that she's got some really good hooks and some mm-hmm. of her songs are very, very solid pop songs, but they're intermingled with these just melancholic uh dirges almost uh and it's like this like the last day of our acquaintance that you brought up that is my favorite song off of i do not want what i haven't got because it starts so slow and it's you know is it a love song are they right lamenting mm-hmm. the death blah 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 and then you get to the chorus where it's like the wah 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 stuff uh-huh. at the end and it just becomes like an instant pop song almost and i'm like how did she pull yeah. this trick off because it's it's a sad song but it's also very happy well, and i kind of tap my foot to it and i'm singing yeah. along but no i need to be depressed I'm like i don't understand what's going on so it always freaked me out about it for a second though this is a song about finalizing a divorce right and it's very sad and it's very melancholic and halfway through she realizes no wait a minute yeah i get to be divorced i'm I'm free free. (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's like thematically it makes perfect sense you do your 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 um your sadness you get over it and then you celebrate it because you get to do something new now but like even even you know like she yeah i agree she had a lot of good songs they were usually in very R&B beats. They they had a lot of like interesting things going on, but that weren't commercial. They were good, but right. they weren't commercial. And that's why I think she was a bigger name than her music was. So Last Day of Our Acquaintance is also the best example of something that she did a couple times on the first album. You know, the, the very first track on the first album is a song called Jackie and it is a yes. two minute and 30 second crescendo okay it, <laughs> like exactly she she brings the drama and she uses the timbre of her voice you can do this very sort of fragile gentle quiet voice and then she just has this absolute I will eat your fucking head uh, power that she can pull yeah. out on just a single note if she wants to 
you know, that and Drink Before the War, I think, are two songs from that first album that, um, you know, we're, we're sort of exercising that. And that was that was very influential on me. That that really got my attention in terms of how to build tension and how to how to have emotion yeah. in music. Well, I always felt that, that Jackie, as just the lead-off track on a debut album, that is a mission statement. That's exactly yeah. what it is to mm -hmm. me. And it's just, like, that whole album would not work had they not put that track first, because everything sort of flows out of that, because you get elements of it in the rest of the song. And it also, it also shows that back in the day, albums had to be com constructed out of yeah. their songs. Yeah, you didn't exactly. just have a song. You. you had a build. Yeah. I think Mandinka is actually one of the weirdest singles for a single right. i've ever heard <laughs> it's got to be here in the context of the rest of the album yeah. it's like yep that makes sense yeah <laughs> Well, and then the big hit from that album was I Want Your Hands On Me, which is basically yeah. a Nana Cherry song, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's very you know, produced. It's very produced. Yeah. It stands out on the rest of the album for sure. It's a good song, though. Like, the, the chorus is a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's a good club track, but it, it is kind of like nothing compares to you. It sticks out. Like, it doesn't quite gel with the rest of the album. Right. I think in in the case of I do not want what I haven't got, putting nothing compares to you um side two it's lead at off. the beginning of side two yeah. is a way of kind of like keeping it away from the rest of the album because that whole first half, that first side of I do not want what I haven't got is just incredible. Yeah. Like, well if you if you listen to this the album sequentially, like back when we had sides, mm -hmm, yeah. uh, isn't that quaint? Like the end of side one is Black Boys on Mopeds, which just shreds Margaret, Margaret Thatcher mm -hmm. and the UK government, uh, et cetera. And then you flip it over and then nothing, nothing compares to you comes on. And it's just like it's jaw dropping the way that that song works. And I, I mean, I, I should hate it because it's just so pop gloss. I mean, Prince just nailed it. And then you give it to her and her distinctive voice and style. And it just, it's like, bam, like a, an arrow right through your fucking heart. Every time I heard it, I was just, I was at the right age. I was like 20 and I'm like, this is the greatest song ever. You know? <laughs> and then you kind of grow a little bit of a callus around your heart and then it's not yeah. as impactful, <laughs> but yeah, it's such a weird follow-up from black boys and mopeds. So always interesting. Uh, did you guys see the um there's footage on on youtube um i guess like the day after she died tori amos did um a live solo piano version of uh three babies and black boys on mopeds kind of really
You're not a Gen X legend unless Tori Amos does your. Uh, <laughs> is, she, is she the Gen X pet fiddler? Yeah, is it's like like on? when she did the the um, uh, smells like Teen Spirit cover like a day or two <laughs> after Cobain died. Yeah, and then she tried to milk his for some uh, money to save those animals. So basically, Tori Amos my is, eulogy. A, is a musical vulture. She's just waiting for you to die. And the instant you do, she's going to do your song. Is that- oh, damn. Yeah. What would happen if Tori so. Amos died? Like, who would sing her stuff? Oh, oh that is a good question. Conundrum. Mm. Uh, well, here's the funny. Th- I mean, you get all the tributes that come out. Uh, and and so now you find out what an influence Sinead O'Connor was in life. But none of that ever really comes out until the person is gone, which is always weird. Yeah. But what got me sagging into the Pee Wee Herman news, which came on the heels of Sinead O'Connor, was just how every single story that comes out from celebrity to person who just met him on the street talks about what a genuine, nice person he was. And his Christmas list must have been the largest on the fucking planet because everybody mm. said yeah he always remembered my birthday he always remembered christmas and i always got a card from him i was like holy shit and that's like <laughs> 30 40 years of, of going uh as as peewee herman i mean i can't even imagine what kind of person that would be doing that like i would i would forget like one year and then try to make it up to him but every year he was sending those out and it just made me reconsider his entire uh oeuvre which is dominated by Pee Wee, but he was just a good guy. And I just, it was, I, it was a lot of that uh, Andy Kaufman kind of celebration of childhood, but right. it, it felt more, I don't know, entertaining the way he did it. Well, <laughs> so I like that Andy Kaufman was version. just in it for Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a more honest version of childhood in which the, the subversiveness of childhood was also part of it. Like Pee Wee Herman was kind of like, pushing boundaries and that's a big part of childhood is pushing boundaries right well i like that that he created a a character that he could uh sort of tailor to the particular audience because the stage show that made Wee herman famous was dirty i mean it was Mm -hmm. very adult oriented (laughs) but they took that same basic format and then segged it into peewee's playhouse for children but not really for children. And so it was a little bit more winky winky with the dirty, but it was still there. Uh, That's why we liked it. Yeah. And then you get sort of the hat, like sort of the mix uh, in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And so it's just the, it, just depending on who he was performing for, you always got sort of a, uh, you either got the really naughty version of Pee Wee, like look at me, snicker, snicker, or you got sort of just the, the innocent sort of walking into the weirdness. And so I always liked how all of those fit the, the Pee Wee character. And you never questioned it. That's just that's to me is a very neat trick that he managed to pull off with that. So the yeah. the neatest version of that trick that he pulled off. Let's be clear. Paul Rubens was like canceled because they caught him jerking off in a porn theater. Yeah, you know, and just as which a I take dude. exception to because yeah. um, no one's going to a porn theater to take in the artistic. You know, oh, oh, realities yeah, I mean, of porn. Mm-hmm. They're going yeah. there to to beat it. Yeah. The, the problem, of course, was that he was seen as a child show host, and so that yeah. was, he was held to an, an, an. But he overcame that. Like, I, I, great. Now I'm the guy doing it, I guess. But no one's bringing that up, right? <laughs> like he died, yeah. and everybody's like, "Phoebe's yeah. dead," and that sucks. He overcame it. He re- he redeemed himself in the public eye, and. I, Thank I you think everybody it was for like understanding that. Yeah, no shit. He was a dude who I, went to a porn theater. Let him. Yes. <laughs> yes. But he 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 overcame it. But also the ground rose up to his feet in a way because it was during yeah. a period where people were like, you know, like like me. Well, let me see. It's a jerk off booth. Why do they call it a jerk off booth? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you go there to jerk off it's okay i mean and like the world kind of was you know if if the world was still as prude and stupid as they were in the 80s i don't think he would have come back but mm. well luckily that- people, people kept giving him work because yeah. he shows up in buffy the vampire slayer uh and he's one of the funniest things about that entire movie i mean yeah. it's just like when he gets stabbed and he's like ah ah <laughs> ah I think, yeah, part of yeah. it was his willingness to break from the Pee Wee character. Right. Like, you can get annoyed with that character after a while easily. Yeah. 
but well, I like, like that he that he was does Batman re- Returns was like the big thing that happened right after that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good old Tim, Tim Burton throwing him. him a bone. Yeah, and he and he shows up at a at a bunch of different Burton stuff too. So he's one of his stables. And wasn't he uh, in Mystery Men? Yeah, he was the 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 spleen, the spleen, yeah, the spleen. <laughs> and he's my favorite part about that entire movie. On my finger, <laughs> you know, it's just so dumb. But he committed. God bless him. And so he he really made yeah. it sing, as it were. He, he also uh, got in trouble for, I guess, having uh, uh, child pornography, and that's not true. That they they got they busted him basically for having a painting that appeared in, not a painting a, a it was it was, I mean it was a, a, a actual art that appeared in galleries and shit. Right. right. It was not there to look at naked children, but it was a picture that had naked children. <sighs> that's 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 a tough one. But it's like, God damn it. That's mm. not child pornography. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like he kind of got he kind of got snipped with some things that any rational person would have been able to dismiss. Well, at, at the least he was he he's remembered fondly. Right. Yeah. You know, and and. It's good to know that people can be rational and and can put these things into context. So maybe yeah. I don't want they to belabor the point, but it, it well, did feel like it needed to at least be addressed. And what else? Yeah. Well, I <laughs> mean, just you forget how influential he was. Like, think of all the people that sort of broke from the Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, stage show and TV show. Like Phil Hartman, that was one of his first big deals coming off the groundlings. I mean, you forget that Lawrence Fishburne, for fuck's sake, was Cowboy Curtis. I mean, it was just, uh, and apparently Natasha Leone played a little girl character on uh, an episode or two. Okay, (laughs) heavy smoker's voice. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm a three year old child. Hello. Uh, So, I mean, you just forget. And then, and then, of course, the uh, John Paragon. As Jambi, Mekaleka. Oh yeah, he Mecca was the Hi-ho. best. Every time I think of the Pee Wee's Playhouse, like the the stage show, I think of that the song he did at the end credits. Where do I go when I wanna go? And it's like, oh, I loved that guy. He was so awesome. He had yeah. a comedy special on HBO shortly after that you can't find anywhere. That was fucking hilarious. Yeah, and then he died of AIDS. Then he just well, he was gone. Oh well. But then you also have the, you have like uh, Jambi, Jambi. I can never remember how to say it. I think it's a Jambi. Uh, but then you also had Conky. You had Cherry. It's <laughs> <This is> like <laughs> Globy. You I know. mean, it 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 also brought a sort of, uh, and maybe this was just part of the zeitgeist, right? Like it was it was at that time where everyone was sort of chasing the way that sega marketed the sega genesis and everything right. was like super choppy and spastic and high 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 energy extreme and and peewee's playhouse i think was almost a template for how 90s television was going to look <laughs> exactly for like five years very much so um, the other thing, of course, is that it obviously influenced Katy Perry's stage show. That's all. Well, we won't talk about that. We won't talk about <laughs> anyway. that. Uh, um, so yeah, it's just it's been a weird couple of weeks for the uh, the Gen X there. Uh, what with all of this so, going on. So if celebrity deaths do happen in threes, and Eric doesn't think that Tony Bennett counts, and I'm kind of with him because Gen X doesn't care about Tony Bennett. I'm I'm so. gonna yeah, and we can't include uh, Lizzo's career. So maybe that's how. <laughs> um, let's see. So yeah, I'm Lizzo not sure. fat just, shaming people look, is a weird. It's a weird look. Right? But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, looking back in recent history, then we've got Alan Arkin, who I will miss, okay, but not yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Julian Sands, Treat Williams, Ray Stevenson, Ray Stevenson, yeah, Ray Stevenson. Yeah, I don't no. know. Okay. I don't feel like know. I feel like I feel like we need another another bigger hit. I don't know. Hmm. There's Michael Lerner. He's got that Barton Fink feeling. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll go with that one then. Okay. Uh, okay, just to make this end. Um and Michael Lerner, Gen X hero Michael Lerner. <laughs> <laughs> Google him. Oh yeah, yeah. Richard okay. Belzer. Richard Belzer. There you go. Richard Belzer died? Yeah, yeah a couple months ago. ago. Yeah. Uh, right after uh, 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 Raquel Welch, whose name I just like saying Raquel, Raquel Welch. 
Raquel Welch. I like the way he says it in Apocalypse Now, or Raquel Welch. <laughs> well, never forget that uh, I Want Your Hands on Me was also featured in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. That's important. That's so, important. Just, just so we're really clear on on the level that we're dealing with here. Yeah, my, my final word on Sinead O'Connor is, you know, Dolores O'Reard and drank herself to death, and Sinead O'Connor is now dead, and we're all kind of wondering about the circumstances of that so apparently being an irish female singer in gen x not a happy place to be this is why i'm happy that shirley manson is scottish because she's less yes. likely to yes. die yes thank you so, irish I was, scottish what's the difference i was actually i was i was talking about this with my wife I w- we were like uh, uh well she had said oh one of those the sad things about sinead o'connor dying is I, I I keep hearing the fucking cranberries everywhere. And we we're both like, <laughs> yeah, is there is there an Irish band like worth half a fuck since Thin Lizzy and the first two U2 albums? I'm not sure there <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, I'd be hard pressed to come up with one on the top of my head if I'm being real. Yeah. Well, the first two Sinead O'Connor albums count. So we're going. Yeah, okay. Well, he said yeah. that's what he said. He he basically uh, declared it before we could actually uh, come back with any snark. <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you undercut our snark? <laughs> we're talking about a serious uh, issue here. I know what you're doing. You're, you're trying to wrap it up. You're trying to bring it back to the uh, actual subject so we can say, and if you liked that or you have any other Gen X heroes you've heard of that have died, why don't you let us <laughs> wow. know at okay. Magnificently Huge uh, on Facebook. I think we're still Mag Huge on Twitter because we haven't bothered to cancel it. No, yep. it's X now. It's X now. It's X? It is actually called X. It's Twix. actually called yeah. Twix, yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to call it. I'm still going to call it Twitter because fucking Elon Musk. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're we're not we we are technically still on that thing he's trying to drive into the ground, but just like you, we don't use it much. (laughs) And uh, we're on all of all of Facebook owned properties, I'm sure. MacHuge at gmail.com. Brian, you do this normally. Yeah, Yeah. Eric just did it. So we're good. We'll catch you guys next week. Try not to die. Mahalo. 